When your companion is darkness rather than light, and your circumstances are overwhelming you in a season of acute need, there is no more of a critical time in life for God to reveal himself to you. But sometimes your answer to your praying is more darkness, silence. How in the world does the gospel connect to a God who is silent? We all have been there to varying degrees. We have experienced that acute need. We have been tossed in the crucible of suffering. And that is the time when we really want God to not only have our backs, but to undergird us, to provide a way out. And so we pray, we ask, we wait. Silence. God is not there. How do you connect the gospel to a God who is silent? That is the title of this podcast. You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. I'm going to do a bit of a devotional today. I'm going to go through Psalm 88. I have it here in the article, and you're welcome to read it if you want to read this article. The article is short, but it is powerful, as we have, you probably have heard someone say, if you're not suffering it now, well, just hold on because you're going to be sometime in your future. You're either coming out of suffering, you're in it, or you're going to be in it. That is part of what it means to live in God's world as fallen beings. And so this idea of suffering is critical. It is one of the cornerstones of our ministry to have a robust and sound theology of suffering. You not only need to know how to apply the gospel to your personal suffering, but you need to know how to walk someone through it because you have those people in your life and they are struggling and they need hope. And many times, and you will hear this or some version of this, that they have asked God to help them, but God is silent as though he is not there. I want to say that God is there and there is a purpose in the silence. And I think that Psalm 88 would be a beneficial psalm for you to highlight and to spend some time meditating on it. You will benefit from it, and I trust as well that you would take this small devotional here that I have for you in this podcast or the article that we have on our website and that you would use it as as part of the ministry of the Spirit of God as He works in your life. Again, this is Your Daily Drive. I'm Rick Thomas, and I'm glad that you're here. As always, if you want to talk to us, we want to talk to you. We have a, a website that is big enough, powerful enough, ready enough to be able to handle whatever question that you have. And so if you want to come to us to chat about something that's going on in your life, perhaps it is suffering, maybe you have another question, well, that is what we are here for. We do want to serve you. Our faithful supporting community provides this ministry for you. I thank God for each and every one of them who donate to our ministry on a uh, monthly or annual basis or sometimes just one-off donations that they make, but they are the people Perhaps it would be a good time for you to just thank God for these individuals uh, who bring this ministry to you. I do, and I'm very grateful for their kindness. And so we have a ministry that is ready to serve you, and I appeal to you to let us to let us do that 
And uh, that would be our privilege. It would be our joy, and you will buy, find some benefit from it. Okay, the, again, the title of this is Connecting the Gospel to a God Who is Silent. I had a pastor from uh, possibly Missouri. I don't quite remember, but he sent me an email a few months ago, and he's been thinking about this gospel-centered life, and he asked me, do you have any articles about connecting the gospel to real-life situations? Because sometimes when you talk about preaching the gospel to yourself, connecting the gospel to a practical situation in your life, it can it sounds vague, and it's not easy for everyone to do that, and so I, I sent him some some of our work on that, and then I'll also have a series, a series of articles uh, on our website, and I actually took all of those articles and I put them inside of this one, How to Connect the Gospel to. And so if you want to read this series of articles, you're welcome to do it. Go to this article, Connecting the Gospel, to a God who is silent, and you'll find all of these other articles here. They look like there's about six or seven of them, maybe eight. How to Connect the Gospel to Parental Discipline, Connecting the Gospel to Arguments, Connecting the Gospel to Evil and Unfairness, Connecting the Gospel to Perfectionism, Connecting the Gospel to Your Music Choices, Connecting the Gospel to Personal Suffering, to Physical Suffering, and Connecting the Gospel to Being Left Alone. Well, that's eight of them. And then this one here, number nine, Connecting the Gospel to a God Who is Silent. So there are nine brief articles that you can spend a lot of time studying, and they're all yours. You can read them, print them. Go to the bottom of each article, hit the print button, and you can print them off in a PDF or copy the URL and send it to someone, and you all sit around and talk about it. All right, so let's talk about darkness. You're in the crucible of suffering. Something bad has happened to you, and you're, you're sitting there in that crucible, and you're pleading with God, and you're asking Him to help you to deliver you. You're crying out day and night before the Lord because you want Him to do what you know He can and do. Well, that is the context of Psalm 88. There are 18 verses here. Let me read to you this song, verse number one. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. Verse number four, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse number 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Verse 11. 
Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Finally, verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness There's a lot of things to say about this psalm, and one of them, as I was just reading it here again, is that it's very honest, and I think it's important for uh, for you to see that as well. I'm sure you heard it. When you talk to God, you want to talk to God, you want to reverently talk to God, but you also want to honestly talk to Him. Two things can be true at the same time. Both of those things can happen. Uh, At the same time, you can be reverent and respectful, but you can also be honest. You want to tell God what is already what is on your heart. He already knows this, of course, as we learn in in uh, Hebrews four verses twelve and thirteen that all things are open to His eyes, that He understands the thoughts, the intentions of our hearts. He He understands what is happening in our minds, our thoughts. He He gets them, he knows them, and so we're not going to tell him anything that he doesn't already know. And so it is valuable, it is important for us to be honest. We don't have to be mean about it. We don't have to be angry at God, though sometimes that happens. I don't read this psalm as the psalmist being angry with God, but I do do hear it as an honest person who is suffering and he is just laying it out before the Lord, this hard reality of God's silence and your darkness, well, that is the story of the psalmist in Psalm 48. This psalm is unlike others. It doesn't end with the God of victory breaking through to save the day. As you read other psalms, you know how most of them are written that way. In fact, I write my articles that way. I would not, I don't think that I've ever written an article like this psalm. I write my articles, I I write my articles like psalms, actually. Uh, That is how I craft them. I state the problem and, and, and then work through it, this intersection. And then I give solutions, a victory at the end. And so you have the problem and then working through it and then uh, providing hope and assurance and solutions at the end. And many of the Psalms are similar to that, that pattern there. But this Psalm, this Psalm is not like that. And I, I wouldn't write an article like that. Here, here's the problem. The problem is terrible. And, and you don't write that way either or don't write that way. I'm appealing to you. I'm I'm asking you, don't write that way where you write a blog post. Those blog posts are, are, can be really frustrating where you just state the problem and you continue to meander through the problem, but there aren't any solutions. 
but it's interesting here that Psalm 88 is like that. According to the Hebrew rendering of the text, the last word of the psalm is the word darkness. You heard that, verse 18. He says, you have, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun, shun me. My companions have become darkness. And the curtain drops. That's it. It ends with, with darkness. This psalm helps us understand something about darkness and pain like no other psalm. The, the, the song, the poem, it's really messy. There's a lot of chaos in this psalm. It's a confusing psalm. But I want you to, to understand that the Lord, he intentionally left this psalm in the sacred text. I mean, he put it here. This passage is an, is an anti-American psalm in that the American culture, and not just the American culture, but any first world country or culture, has a generally weak understanding of suffering in a fallen world. I was saying that earlier, that our understanding of suffering is weak. We don't have a sound theology of it. And it is important that we do. The overriding implication of this psalm is that God may choose to leave you in darkness for a season. I wrote an article some time ago. It was titled something like, May I Talk You Out of Becoming a Christian? And I talk about this a lot with people. And what I mean by what I was saying in that article and what I meant by that title is that we need to be clear with people at the point when they come into Christianity after God regenerates them, even if it's a part of our evangelistic appeal, that we let them know that this is not an easy path. Because I think that too many people come into Christianity thinking that it's going to be somewhat problem-free, and it's not really helpful when we have uh, prosperity gospel preachers that, that they preach that message And then when the dark season comes, we're not prepared for it. But that doesn't mean that the darkness that you are experiencing is void of God's presence or His awareness. And I think we need to differentiate here. So it is true that God may leave you in your darkness, but it doesn't mean that God is not there. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is, is Genesis 39.2, and most definitely in context of this kind of idea, it says in 39.2 of Genesis, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Well, the two words that I'm keying on here is that the Lord was with Joseph. And so Joseph was in Egypt, and you could say Uh, for the sake of this podcast, that Egypt is darkness, and it was a horrific place. And God left Joseph in Egypt. In fact, Joseph never came out of Egypt alive. And so when he went into darkness, when he went into Egypt, he never came out. God put him there. God left him there. But it says in 39.2 that he was with him. And it's important that we understand that. You may be in darkness, a season of darkness, a wilderness wandering, a season of difficulty, but you have to know God is with you. 
And so it doesn't mean that he's not with you. It just means that you can't see him in the dark. Now, this is what our old friend Job said. He finally came to that place about halfway into his journey or halfway into his book in chapter 23. Excuse me. In chapter 23, Job said this, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. So I've gone forward, and in Job's mind, God's not there. He's gone backward, in Job's mind, he doesn't perceive him. He continues, on the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Now, that's Job saying that no matter which way I go, forward, backward, right, or left, God is not there or doesn't seem to be there. But then the next sentence says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. And it is absolutely imperative that you understand this concept. You may not be able to perceive him, And you may not be able, you may not come out of your darkness for a while or in Joseph's case at all, but God is with Joseph. Job said, basically, God was with him. He says, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. And so the very fact that God, this scripture here in Psalm 88 I mean, all Scripture is inspired by God. The Spirit of God penned this text, or through men, this text was penned by the inspiration of God. And so God was very much aware. You could say God is writing this. The psalmist is writing this, and God is writing this is another instance where two things are true at the same time. So God is very much aware. And that's what you have to understand as well. And so this text does not teach that God is away, distant, or disinterested in the sufferer. We cannot say that he was not aware what was going on, again, because he inspired the writer to bend the chapter. The fact that God included this psalm in his word tells us that he knows, he understands what is going on in our hearts and lives even when we are unsure if God is real and if God is relevant in our lives. And you felt the uncertainty of Job as you listened to Job 23, verses 8, 9, and 10 is what I read to you, but the entire chapter of Job 23 is imperative to, or it's, very, it's a very rich read to read the entire chapter. But Job was unsure of where God was and what was, what God was doing and if God was relevant in his life. But he finally came around to understand that, no, I might not be sure of all that's going on, but I know that God is there. And even through this psalm, he is teaching us something about life. I mean, for example, a Christian can go through dark times And that is exactly what our friend here is describing in Psalm 88. There are times when our lives take twists and turns that are much different than what we read in Psalm 40. Now, you juxtapose Psalm 40 
to Psalm 88, and you have two different stories, but both of these stories are true. Here's Psalm 40, the verse, first two verses. You, you know these verses. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. As I waited patiently for the Lord, guess what happened? He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now that is the expectation that we have of the Lord. That's the kind of God that we want, that he waits. I wait patiently on him. I'm not sure how patiently we wait on him, but let's just run with it for now. And we pray, and then he inclines to us, he hears our cry, he draws us out of the pit, the miry bog, he sets, sets us upon the rock, and he makes our steps secure. Uh, that is the God that we want, that is the God that we love. But then you juxtapose that, Psalm 88, the person cries to God, and the Lord does not hear. And I, I would put does not in in air quotes, because the truth is God does hear. And it's not about God not being, not hearing. It's about God not responding the way that we want him to respond. And so the psalmist has, has prayed and prayed and prayed, but God is not listening, so it seems. But God is not only silent, but he has hidden his face from the crier, it is one thing to be rejected by man, but to feel rejected by God is the most desperate of all life's circumstances. When my only friend is darkness that I experience, the question becomes, can this really be true that a believer can get to the place to where there is no practical help or functional hope? And I have heard many people say some version of that. And for sake of self-disclosure, I have been one of those people. When you get to that place in your life where the darkness is so encompassing, and the way that I used to describe it when I went through this terrible season in my life, and I've said this many I remember telling many people this back then, that it's as though I was standing on the, the edge of time, looking out into my future, and all I saw was darkness. And when I looked into my future, I just saw more darkness. That is the way that I described it. It seems that if God can do all things, he would most assuredly be able to fix this, right? And these are the kinds of questions that the desperate people ask. Being in a relationship with God does not mean you will escape the problems of life. So imperative. It's just a common sense thing that if we take a step back and spend a moment just reflecting about this idea that you can't escape the problems of life, it's like, well, yeah, I, I know that. Because at one, at one level, we all know this. I mean, for example, becoming old Becoming old is a glaring example of the potential for suffering. What about getting sick? Well, yeah, these are common sense things. So we know that we can't escape the problems of life. And then there are other issues like you experience abuse, you experience injustice, just like everyone else. 
Perhaps some of you have lost jobs, and at other times you have lost friends. And so being in a relationship with God doesn't mean you're going to escape the problems of life. And we do understand this. Being a Christian doesn't mean problem-free living or smooth sailing. And we all check the box and we say yes and amen. We sit in our churches and we nod our heads in affirmation and, and we know that this is true. But the tension that we can create in our souls is when we think that God works in our salvation and our sanctification identically, and he doesn't. The God of your salvation is the conquering victor who secured you for eternity. Now, for him to do this, what did, what did God have to do to secure your salvation for eternity? Well, we get a little soundbite of that in Isaiah 53.10. And in that passage, we learn that it was the will of the Lord to crush his son. And so for the Lord to secure your victory, I'm assuming that you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, well, you're getting an unusual evangelistic message right now. And it could talk you out of becoming a Christian, but most definitely... After this podcast, you should come into Christianity with your eyes wide open. But I'm going to assume that you are a Christian, and so the question is, what did God do to secure your salvation for all of eternity? Well, what he did is he crushed his son. I'm speaking about the gospel here as it pertains to your salvation. But when we think that God works in our salvation and our sanctification identically, well, then we can get into a problem. And so what did he do to secure your salvation? He crushed his son. The God of your sanctification is a different kind of conquering friend. It's not just what God is doing for you in your sanctification, but what he is doing in you and through you. The person that the Lord is crushing through your sanctification is you. Once he secured your salvation through the death of his son on the cross, he began a sanctification process. He is progressively mortifying you for greater usefulness in his world. The word mortification is an old English word that means to make dead. I've written an article someplace on our website that God is incrementally, systematically putting you and me to death. And that's how he works in our sanctification. But when we conflate salvation and sanctification and think that God works in both of those the same way, uh, we can not only get confused, but we can misunderstand what is happening in our lives. And so he is a conquering victor who, who crushed his son so that you and I could be saved. And now he's crushing someone else. This is our sanctification and it is us that he is mortifying, that he is making dead. Now, we know this, and as you read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you study the various passages where Jesus, Jesus talked about the cross and taking up your cross and dying to yourself. One of the verses uh, that he gave us was 1224 of John. He says, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it bears forth much fruit. I think I shared this in the last podcast as, as well. It is required upon all Christians to die, to die to ourselves. And that's one of the things that God is doing through our suffering. And so we pray like the psalmist in Psalm 88, and we expect God to deliver us like he did in Psalm 40. He inclines and he lifts us out. He establishes us on the rock. But sometimes he doesn't do that. And so Christ's death led to victory, and now your death in sanctification leads to victory. And the more you can understand and apply this truth to your life, the more you can not only experience and love the one who died for you, but also secure a more significant victory that these temporary terrestrial comforts can offer. And sadly, at times, we try to smuggle into our progressive sanctification this idea of safety expectations. Yes, I know that I'm going to suffer, but I don't want to suffer this way. We have safety expectations as though we will go through life in a particular way. But what the Lord does is he customizes, he sculpts out our burdens, and he places each one on our, li- on our backs, and it, it is unique to our life and who we are and what we need and what we are going through. You're listening to the podcast titled, Connecting the Gospel to a God Who is Silent. My biggest takeaway for you that I want you to take away is that God may be silent, but it doesn't mean that he is not there, that he is doing something in you and through you because he has a plan for you. At the end of this podcast, I do have some call to action questions, which we do in virtually all of our articles here. And I would just make an appeal to you that you would read through these and that you would find a friend, these questions here, and that you would find a friend that you can talk to and share these questions. If you are a journaler or a diary type person, if you would just scribble out some thoughts and reflections as you work through these questions, it would help you when you meet with your friend. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast.